This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today, my guest is Janine Shepard. Janine is a motivational speaker and author who draws on her experience of rehabilitation as a walking paraplegic and former Olympic hopeful to share how she learned about her own incredible strength in the process. Among other accreditations, Janine was awarded her country's highest civilian honor, the Order of Australia, for her work in raising awareness of spinal cord research. Janine is well known for her TEDx talk, A Broken Body Isn't a Broken Person, which became the subtitle for her newest work with Sounds True, a new book called Defiant, which chronicles her remarkable journey and offers hope and encouragement for anyone facing a life challenge. Sharing Janine's hard-won wisdom and priceless advice for navigating one's way from loss to healing. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Janine and I spoke about being alive as a choice and the power in knowing that. We talked about her experience firsthand of being more than her body and how that experience has informed her view of death. We talked about the qualities of resilience and perseverance and how Janine feels fear without being afraid of feeling fear. We also talked about how she sees challenges as experiences that hold special gifts. And finally, Janine read a passage from her new book, Defiant. Here's my conversation with Janine Shepard. Janine, your life story is quite unusual and quite remarkable. And I'm wondering for listeners who are meeting you here in this conversation for the very first time, if you could share a synopsis, if you will, of the accident that you went through and a bit about the recovery process and, if you will, just a bit about the path your life has taken. I'd love to. Thanks, Tammy. I, well, my my story is very well known in Australia. So uh, this is uh, for a lot of the listeners. Uh, then they wouldn't be familiar with my story, and um, I guess that's, I guess part of the reason for writing this book too is to introduce uh, a new audience to to my journey. Um, many years ago, I was an athlete in Australia and I was a member of the Australian ski team. I was a cross-country skier training for the 1988 Winter Olympics in Calgary. Uh, I was on top of the world at the time. I'd been invited to train with the Canadian ski team in the lead-up to those Olympics 
and I was on a training bike ride with my fellow teammates from the Australian ski team riding from Sydney up to the Blue Mountains. It was about a six-hour bike ride. We'd been on our bikes for around five and a half hours when uh, we uh, got to the part of the ride that I really loved and it was the hills because I, I just I thrive on hills. And my last memory was just looking up and seeing the sun shining in my face and then everything going black. I was hit by a speeding truck with only 10 minutes to go on the bike ride. I was airlifted from the scene of the accident by uh, the Westpac rescue helicopter to a large spinal unit in Sydney with extensive and life-threatening injuries. I'd broken my neck and my back in six places. I'd broken five ribs on my left side, my right arm, my collarbone, bones in my feet. My whole right side was ripped open and filled with gravel. My head was cut open across the front, exposing the skull underneath. I had head injuries, internal injuries, and massive blood loss. In fact, I lost about five litres of blood, which is, for someone my size, that's, a, that's about all I would hold. And by the time the helicopter arrived at the spinal unit in Sydney, my blood pressure was 40 over nothing. So I'm not meant to be here. <laughs> and... Um, you know, I actually have no, no recollection of the accident, which is really interesting. For the first 10 days, I had what I call, um, I don't even call it a near-death experience. I call it a death experience because I did leave my body. And I spent 10 days, I guess, in between dimensions in a place that is really difficult to describe and I don't often talk about it. But I was given a choice uh, to return to my body. And have, having been someone who was an athlete and who defined themselves by my body, by it, it was it was a really difficult choice because I didn't want to come back because I knew that my life would never be the life that I had chosen before. I, I wouldn't have the life of an athlete. And for reasons that even I'm unsure of today, I made the choice and came back to my body. I had... They did some tests on my back. They discovered that the um, the worst break in my back, L1, was a, what they call a comminuted fracture. It was completely crushed and the bone was shattered in my spinal cord. I had extensive uh, spinal surgery. They used two of my broken ribs and they rebuilt my back. And after almost six months in the spinal ward, I left in a wheelchair and I was told that I would never be able to do the things that I did before and I would have to rethink everything that I did in my life. So it was, for me, being an athlete, it was my worst nightmare. At that point, I got home in my wheelchair and suffered a terrible depression where I didn't want to be in my body. I didn't want to be where I was and I felt that there was nothing really to live for. Everything that I'd worked for, my goals, everything I valued had been taken from me by this speeding driver. And it really got to the point where I ended up on my knees on my bedroom floor um, saying, show me a way through this or show me a way out of this. And that was really a seminal point in my life where I actually... What I say, I really let go and reached this um, place of acceptance about where I was. And when I did that, everything changed. And I was sitting outside 
in my wheelchair and covered in a plaster body cast and an aeroplane flew overhead. And I looked up and I thought to myself, well, if I can't walk, then maybe I can fly. And it was an unlikely uh, decision on my part. Everyone thought I was crazy, but that moment changed my life. And I was not long after that taken out to a flying school at Bankstown Airport, carried into the flying school and uh, lifted into an aeroplane, a light aircraft, for the first time and taken um, out for a flight. And it was the most magical moment of my life because I was no longer a person with a disability. I was free. And that was my decision that I was going to fly. And... To cut a long story short, I went on and I eventually, at the same time as I was uh, learning to walk again, I learned to fly and I went on and became a commercial pilot and an aerobatics flying instructor and wrote books about my experience. I ended up having three children. They said that I would never have children and it just seems that, um, you know, that that moment in my life when I looked up and saw that aeroplane aeroplane flying overhead changed everything about what I thought was possible in life. There's so much, Janine, that I want to tease out from your story. First of all, just to say your story is very moving to me. And I want to go directly to that moment where you're on your knees and you're back from the hospital in a wheelchair. I read in the book, Defiant, your memoir, that you're weighing 80 pounds at this point, you're in a plastic body cast, you have a catheter, and that the nurse in the spinal unit had warned you that you very well may feel depressed when you go home. So, of course, that makes sense. Good warning. And here you are. And, you know, I can imagine that things could have gone either way, and that for a lot of people in a situation like that, it goes a path of addiction and spiraling downward and eventually just death and just a a downward spiral. And here, you know, you prayed, saw a plane in the sky. I mean, what do you think happened? What in you, you said it was a kind of acceptance. What was that shift that happened in you that gave you this new unfolding and expanding life? It was a remarkable, you know, experience for me. I think that I was in such pain at that point, Um, not just physical pain. I mean, you know, the emotional pain was extraordinary. I, you know, going back to the whole idea of a catheter, I mean, my for, for start, people now that I'm up and walking, they, it's very difficult. People look at me and say, well, what do you mean you're a walking paraplegic? Well, I have no feeling from the waist down. You know, I use a catheter. I've had to use a catheter since I had my accident. And I think um, one of the moments that really was shattering for me was uh, I was in my wheelchair. I was wheeled into a doctor's office and he said, well, you know, let's talk about sexuality and that's something that's not often talked about with spinal cord injury and he said you know you'll uh, never have the big O again (laughs) I just remember sitting there and thinking what else can I lose you know I've lost everything so even my sense of being a woman was being taken from me and um, 
and I think that was the moment when I got home on my floor um, in you know, covered in a complete body cast. I couldn't walk. I couldn't use the bathroom. I had a body that didn't function. And I just thought, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to be here. And I really contemplated how I could get out of my body at that point. And I think in the end it came back to the awareness that I had actually made a choice to be in this body. And I felt in, in, in many ways that I I owed it to my parents because of what they'd been through. But I needed to find out what it was about. Why did I make the choice to come back to my body? And maybe until then I would just, you know, put that aside and and, and give my life a chance, give it a second chance to find something in my life. And I think it was the letting go of the attachment to my old life, of the expectations of my old life, letting go of my idea that I was an athlete. I was I was not an athlete anymore. I was a person with a disability. So I think it was just the letting go, you know, really freed me up and and suddenly I was able to see other possibilities in life. Mind you, I'd never wanted to find an airplane before. It was the last thing. I, I mean, where did that come from? <laughs> I don't know. But I, I think it was just the letting go of the the old ideas of, of, of who I was. And, um, you know, I, I, I love the, the Lao Tzu quote, you know, when I, when I let go of what I am, I become what I might be. And I think that that really uh, defines that, that sort of moment for me. I'm letting go of that. Now, who might I be? It's an interesting paradox because your new memoir is called Defiant, and yet you're talking about this moment of letting go. You could say a moment of accepting, not defying, but accepting. So how do you understand that paradox in your own life journey? Clearly, you have an incredible will. I mean, the original version of your story published in Australia was called Never Tell Me Never. You know, never tell me I can't do this. I can't have kids. I can't, you know, have a sexual life, a productive life. But so this balance, if you will, paradox between defiance and surrender. It's an interesting paradox. And, you know, the, the whole journey of, of, of coming, to, of calling this uh, memoir Defiant was interesting as well. And I think I've done quite a bit of reading about the word defiant and I'd like people to think of it in a different way. I mean, you look at someone like Viktor Frankl who survived the atrocities of, um, you know, the, the prison camps and he talks about the defiant human spirit. I mean, often we think of the word defiant as being, you know, an angry fist raised in the air where defiance can be expressed in all sorts of ways. I mean, Mother Teresa was defiant. I mean, defiance can be also the gentleness that we have. To me, defiance is, um, you know, not listening to the naysayers, defying the things that hold us back. Defiance is also, it, it works wonderfully with acceptance. It's about, because firstly, let me say, I've written a book about acceptance too, and, you know, we, we often think of acceptance as resignation, which it's not. Um, acceptance is just being able to say, okay, well, this is the isness of my life. Now what? Um, so it's certainly not resignation. 
And to me, defiance is a, an incredibly important word and a concept that we need to embrace. It's about saying, um, okay, so this is my life. Um, how am I going to honor my life and my journey and my path? Not listening to what everyone else says is possible or isn't possible in my life, which is what I've done the whole time. But to be able to say, this is this is what I want in life. This is what my life is about and, and honoring that authentic path. I mean, to me, that's defiance. So it's defying the things that hold you back from being all that you can be. So, I mean, it just, it, to me, it's the, it's a quality that we all need and should embrace in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Now you talked about recognizing that you had made a choice, that you made a choice to come back into your body, to use your language, and to be here. You made a choice to be alive and to be here. And I'd love to hear more about that moment of choice. When did that happen in your process? Well, it was sometime during those 10 days. Mind you, those 10 days were not clearly linear for me. Um, There were 10 days that I was in and out of my body. It was a time that was just pure awareness. I read as many books as I could after my accident about NDEs because I I just didn't understand why my experience was so different from everybody else's. And I've just come to the conclusion that, um, you know, that there is, um, you know, that we are able to move between these, these dimensions. And um, what I remember about my experience, and mind you, I don't, there's so many books about people that have been through uh, near-death experiences and they focus on that. And I've always said that, you know, I've, I've written about the, my life experience, not my near-death experience, because to me it's about embracing life and not trying to get out of it. And that's what we're here for. But briefly, what I did experience is the knowledge of, you know, that if I did return to my body, that I would have a body that was had a disability that I would have enormous challenges to deal with, and it, despite that, I made the choice to come back. It was almost as if I was shown a, a film of what my life would be like if I came back to my body, uh, with all the challenges, the physical challenges that that I would have uh, with that body. And making that choice, is it, it's an interesting one because I've always thought, well, if I knew that it was going to be such a painful and challenging life, why did I take it? And um, I believe that the, you know, the, the challenges that we face in life are actually the most important times of our life. They're the times that help us to, to dive deep and to ask the really important questions. Why else would I have come back? I'm curious what you think, I think, in terms of this, that most people, I think, don't experience their life as a choice. Like, I'm here, I don't really know how I got here, somehow I kind of landed here, and so I'm going yeah. to make the best of it because I guess I'm here. But they don't think about it as a choice. What do you think about that? Well, it's interesting because I'm really very clearly aware that I made a choice, and uh also aware that we've all made a choice. You know, if I, if I I know that I've been out of my body and I've made a choice to be back in it. So if I've done that, then I, be, I believe, it's my belief that it, we've all done that. So there's an incredible gift in knowing that. And uh, I, you know, the, the 
title of my TED talk that I gave was You're Not Your Body. So I'm hoping that people will also have some insight into their own lives and that they have made a choice. And it is a challenging thing, concept, to, to think about because especially when times are tough. I mean, who wants to think that I chose this? But I think that if we can actually keep reminding ourselves that we did, it's helpful, it's a benefit because everything can be useful, every experience. Now, you mentioned your TED Talk and this idea that you are not your body and that this is something that you now know in a definitive kind of way from your experience and particularly those 10 days when you were in the hospital in this limbo state. If you're not your body, then what do you feel you are? And what is the relationship between this you are-ness and your body? How do you understand that from the inside out, from your own personal experience? Well, it's interesting because, um, you know, I always thought that my real strength was connected to my body. And as an athlete, um, I guess that's what most of us believe. And when I lost the one very thing that defined who I was, I, I had to look elsewhere. And that really became my, you know, turning inwards and my internal search. Well, if I'm not that, then who am I? And I guess there are so many ways, so many words that, you know, we hear people talk about, whether it's awareness, with pure awareness, with the observer, with spirit, with soul. I don't think it really matters. To me, it's not about putting language to it. But um, if we were going to put a language to it, I would have to say being a pilot, but I call it my pilot light. I see that there's a part of us inside that is just always burning. And even during the most difficult times, if we can tap into that part of us that will never die, the part of us that I believe lives beyond lives because I've been out of my body, so that's my experience. Um, that's how we find the strength to, you know, overcome the, the great challenges that we have in life. And I believe it's those those times, those really challenging times that, as I said, are the really, really important times. And so I guess, well, what's the word for that? We are spirit. We are soul. We are the eternal that never dies. Uh, the part that left my body that was still alive, that was still aware. What is your view, and I'm just asking you these questions, Janine, because you've had such an unusual life experience, and these are questions that are actually important to me as a meditator and spiritual practitioner, and being able to talk to somebody who's had your experience is a gift, and so I want to make the most of that gift. But I'm curious to know what your experience now is when you imagine dying, if you've been informed by your experience in a certain way. Well, I see it as being a really beautiful thing. I am actually very close to that at the moment. I have a, a very, very dear friend that I've known for a long time through my involvement with uh, Deepak Chopra and the Chopra Center. And she's in a bed at the moment in Sweden with only probably a few days to go. So 
you know, the whole idea of, of death is very, very close right now uh, in my awareness. And it's really interesting because I see it as a, although there's a sadness that I won't have her in my life in this body anymore, I'm really overjoyed for her because I understand uh, that she's going to be having a, a you know quite an incredible an amazing experience and it's not like to me anyway my experience is that it's not we're either here or we're there we're we're in all places at once we're in the body we're out of the body this is just an experience where we are now being in this body is just an experience and we're going to have many of those being out of the body is also an experience and I think we get very attached to the whole idea of, you know, that this is who we are, that this is where we are. It is now for this very brief time, very, very brief time. Um, but, you know, where she's going is also just another experience. Mm-hmm. Now, Janine, when we started our conversation and I asked you to share a little bit about what happened to you and, and your life story, and you shared the event of the accident, and you said, you know, it's really interesting that you have no recollection of the actual accident, and you, you made a kind of offhanded comment, isn't that interesting that I have no recollection? And I'm curious... What's interesting to you about that and what your thoughts are about that? Well, I I think that I already had left my body before I was actually hit. And that's what I find interesting. How did I how did I know <laughs> what was happening? I'm not quite sure, but um you know, I just have a lot of uh, awareness about um being able to see my body being loaded into a helicopter, an awareness of seeing my body lying in intensive care with my father sitting by my side holding my hand and and also being in and out of my body. You know, at one point, being able to experience excruciating pain and on the other hand, being in a place that was completely pain-free, which was out of body. I didn't have, you know, the the typical near-death experience that a lot of people talk about, but I do have an awareness of um, of being guided through the experience, particularly by three um, beings that were with me, who were helping me to make the choice whether to come back or not. Um, they won't, nobody was forcing me to make the decision. It was my decision alone. And that's why I'm very, I think it's, you know, important to remind myself that I made the choice to be here, which is very helpful for me because when, when I've experienced many other challenges in my life, it helps for me to remember that, well, you know, you made the choice to be here. So make use of it. Mm -hmm. You're listening to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. We welcome you to learn more about our collection of more than a thousand learning programs and receive three free gifts just for visiting us 
go to soundstrue.com backslash free. That's soundstrue.com backslash free. And now, back to Insights at the Edge. Now, a couple times, Janine, you've pointed to this very positive view of challenges. You know, and, I, and I've heard you speak to business people and executives, and you have this sentence, you know, about how you love the hills. As a cross-country yeah. skier, you loved to go up the hills and down the hills, you know, loving that, <laughs> yeah. that climb. And, you know, I think a lot of us don't necessarily have a positive relationship to when really challenging things occur in our life and things that seem like they're coming from the outside that seem difficult. Maybe it's, you know, market forces or other people, other people, people yeah. in our family, <laughs> things like that. And so what do you have to share with people that might help us shift our view of when difficult challenges appear in our life? Well, I love the expression. I've always, you know, I always tell people that as an athlete, I did love the hills and, and that to me, they offer a gift and a challenge, you know, that when as a young athlete, training myself to, to, to like the hills, which wasn't easy at first, you know, it was something that I had to continually uh, learn to do. It's like cultivating any quality, um, you know, maybe not just physically strong, but mentally tough. And it also gave me the insight that, once I was over one hill, there was always another one. So I say that just like the hills that I face as an athlete, the hills that we face in life are the challenges in life. And, you know, every challenge that we face in life offers a gift. And often the reason we don't turn towards those challenges are because we, you know, we fear what's on the other side. I think when you turn around and you lean into those challenges, you really learn a lot about yourself. You find a strength within yourself that you didn't know existed. And often there's a gift in that. Well, there always is to me. There's always a gift in everything that happens when you choose to see it like that. But it's a choice like everything else. You also realize that the thing that you were probably afraid of really wasn't as bad as you thought it was. Okay, but this idea that I fear what's on the other side, that might be part of it. But mm -hmm. another part might be just, I don't want to go through the pain. You know, I don't want to go yeah. through the pain of this experience. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's normal. I mean, who would who would want to go through pain? And I'm not saying that we should, you know, go out searching for it. But if it's there, if there's an experience that's there, um, it can actually bring incredible qualities to our life, a tenderness that we wouldn't have experienced before. It can open our hearts. I mean, just from my own personal experience, um, having, to, having to use a catheter, for example, it's, it's something that, I mean, you know, I, I don't like it. I'd rather not do it. And it's a painful thing at times. Um, I get very ill from using it. I often, I mean, I've got to take medication for the rest of my life. But like anything, there's a gift in that too. And, and I'll tell you a story about that is that many years ago, I was speaking in Australia and at the end of my presentation, I was um, signing books and there was a lady at the end of the queue and she said, look, I, I brought my daughter along to meet you. She really wanted to meet you because she's had a similar accident. And 
she, I asked where her daughter was, and she said she's in the bathroom. She's using her catheter. And um, finally, the daughter came along, and we were chatting. And she was a young girl, probably early 20s. And I said to her, we were talking about catheters and handbags and <laughs> how to put your catheter in a handbag. And I remember saying to her as a young girl, I said, how, you know, how are you coping with using a catheter? And she turned to me and she said, I love it. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, how could, how could she love using a catheter? And I said, tell me more. She said, well, you know, since my accident, I've now started working with children with disabilities and a lot of them use catheters. And my catheter is a bridge and now gives me something to connect to them about and I understand them. And I thought, wow, it's an incredible gift. And so a lot of the, you know, I mean, it had, it had really cracked her heart open and, I mean, her story, her sharing helped me too. So... A lot of the painful things in life open us up to being more compassionate, more empathic, and and more loving people. Mm-hmm. And isn't that a gift? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, Janine, you wrote the book "Never Tell Me Never" in Australia, and it came out in 1994 about the story of your accident and your recovery and mm-hmm. becoming a flight instructor. And here we are. 20 plus years later, and a new memoir, Defiant, A Broken Body is Not Mm. a Broken Person, is being released into the world. What has happened in the last 20 years that made you feel that another book about your personal story could be beneficial for people? Well, I always think that when it comes to anything in life, putting anything out there in the world, there comes a state of readiness. And I had come to the point in my life where I um, had had many, many more experiences. I had given a TED talk. I was sitting at home answering some emails um, and feedback from, from my TED talk. And one of them, I opened my computer and there was a letter from a man in India. And the letter, the email went something like this. Dear Miss Shepherd, I have suffered for an ailment for the last 19 years. In fact, it was so bad that I'm considering suicide. He said, but I saw your talk today and my life starts now. Pray that I'm successful. And I remember sitting there <laughs> reading this email and thinking you couldn't have two lives that are possibly more more different than me sitting in my home in Australia and this man in India. And there was something that connected us about our struggles, about our suffering. And I thought about when I wrote my first book, Never Tell Me Never, and it was very much in a mindset of not dwelling on on those struggles and the disability and the loss and just telling the story. And I think that state of readiness was that I'm now ready to be more honest and open about the full extent of my journey and, and, and all the losses and all of the emotions, all of the hills, as well as all of the successes. And it wasn't just a story about um, overcoming an accident. Um, There were common experiences about, um, 
my marriage breakdown and losing my home and financial loss. And I thought things that were universal experiences that many people would benefit from hearing. And that's why I wrote this book. I wonder, Janine, if you would be willing to share with us a passage from Defiant. Sure, I'd love to. I think I'll read a passage relating to the first time that I saw my body after my accident, which was a very confronting moment for me. While standing and generally pleased with my progress, I happened to notice a large mirror placed so that the patients could watch themselves walking as a learning aid. It was the first time since the accident that I had seen myself in full view and I was dumbstruck by the gaunt figure staring back at me. The clothes I wore hung on me like a sack. My legs were little pegs, weak and thin. My body, once muscular and athletic, had been reduced to a bag of bones. I knew I had lost weight, that to be faced for the first time with the full extent of atrophy was shocking. I stared at the reflection of this strange person who was supposed to be me, and I sagged under the weight of the reality. It's a bit of a shock seeing yourself for the first time, isn't it? Stephanie offered. Overcome with dejection, I couldn't even answer. Don't worry. Now that you're up, you'll start putting on weight quickly, and the muscle will come back too after you've been working out for a while. At that moment, Mum walked through the door. She had missed seeing me get out of bed the day before. Now she was seeing me on my feet for the very first time since I'd left home the day of the accident. Not a word was spoken as our gazes met in mutual understanding. I watched as tears welled up in her eyes and rolled down her cheeks. I suspect she had feared she might never see this day. The emotional exchange overwhelmed me and I began to cry as well because I had often feared the same. As mum came closer, her expression warmed into a smile. She leaned over and kissed me on the cheek, whispering, You look fantastic. Engaging mum at eye level was an extraordinary experience that belied its simplicity. She and dad, alone and together, had given me more support and love than I ever could have wished for. I couldn't imagine how I'd managed my recovery without them. Now, facing mum and standing for the first time in five months, the joy in her eyes told me she felt all her efforts were worthwhile. Thank you. One of the things I'm curious about, this quality of perseverance, there's a lot being written now about grit, you know, the stick-to-itiveness, and that that's the most important determinant of success whether that's in sports or the military or in business. And is that something that you think some people are just born with and other people aren't? Do you think it can be developed? What's your view of that? Yeah, it's such an interesting concept. I love the, I love the word grit and I love the TED talk that came out recently about grit. And I think that well, I agree that there are some, I think, you know, there are people that have a higher level of grit, but I also think that it's something that can be developed and nurtured, like any quality. Um, one of the things I, I tell people is to, 
you know, always look back at um, at models. I'm very, uh, I'm a believer of modelling. You're going back at life, and uh, particularly when you're going through a challenging period, uh, remind yourself and um, of a time when you've experienced grit, when you've shown a high level of grit, and use that as a model and bring that forward into your life for the challenges that you're now facing. Are there models that have been important to you, not just from your own life story, but that have inspired you? you know, models from other people? Yeah. Um, absolutely. Um, you know, I think, for example, the girl that was uh, my dear friend Maria, who was next to me in hospital, was somebody who has continued to teach me um not necessarily about grit, but about um, other qualities in life. And I'm continually reminding myself of um, experiences that I've had, which I can bring into my current experiences and use that um, to cope with whatever challenges I'm having now. But I also use it with my children. You know, I'm, I encourage them to to look at models and to look at um, times in their life when they've been able to overcome a challenge. And I think that that's... Um, a really useful tool that we can all use in life. Tell me about Maria, this person who was next to you in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Well, she was, um, there was an incredible gift for me. When I was moved uh, from one part of the hospital, I'd been in for already for months, and um, they told me that I'd been getting, I would be getting up um, or moving in a few weeks. And of course, then they, they, they told me that they weren't able to move me. My back wasn't strong enough. I started to get terribly depressed in hospital and they, my doctors at that time decided that they would move me to another part of the hospital. And they were moving me, moving me to a ward next to a girl called Maria who was the youngest patient there and closest to my age. I'd heard about Maria through the, you know, the grapevine of the hospital that she had experienced. Um, she was the highest um, level quadriplegic that was at the hospital. She'd, had, she'd been in a car accident and from what I'd heard, you know, the whispering that came down to me was that uh, she could only move her head. Her injuries were that ex- that extreme. And I was a little nervous about moving next to her. I was told they were moving me next to her because it would be good for her. In fact, it was actually the other way around. It was actually good for me. Because when I moved next to her and saw how much worse my accident could have been, um, I experienced just I was I mean I was so incredibly grateful of course but so um, it really cracked my heart open when I saw what she was dealing with we became great friends she uh, as I said she was a high level quadriplegic she could only move her head she had damage to her vocal cords and she couldn't really talk properly as well but that wasn't the extraordinary thing the extraordinary thing about Maria was that the, the entire time I knew her she was always smiling and never once did she ever complain about what she was going through in life. And this is someone who couldn't uh, move any part of her body and even to have a sip of drink, somebody had to bring something over and, and a straw to her mouth to drink. And she went through her life with the most incredible sense of grace and acceptance and love um, that was extraordinary. I I always say that she gave me uh, the gift of acceptance. You know, Janine, having this conversation with you 
today has an interesting timing for me. I was uh, talking to somebody that I work with about, you know, seeing the glass as half empty or as half full. And what's interesting to me is I feel a little foolish even having a conversation like that in the face of hearing about what you suffered through with your accident and in hearing the story of Maria. I notice it seems just a foolish idea, even, in a certain way, if you know what I mean. Instead of perhaps asking, or asking the question is, um, am I grateful that I've just got a glass? And that's one of the greatest gifts that Marie gave me, is even during the most difficult times of my life and, and the pain and the suffering, um, looking at her and, and really giving thanks for my life. And that's one of the greatest gifts she gave me. And I call that the gift of acceptance. Now, you've recently moved, Janine, to the United States from Australia. And I'm, I'm curious to know a little bit about why you moved and how that's going for you. <laughs> well, um, as I write in my book, I've had some incredible experiences. And... Um, I wrote about the experience of um, having to, you know, I was a single mum for over 10 years, um, struggling to, you know, pay and put my kids through school and and uh, meet all of those financial commitments. And with the global financial crisis, actually, it came to the point where I actually um, lost my house and a, and a lot of my savings. And I can remember, um, I actually write about this, I remember sitting in the, the corner of my room and feeling like, you know, I'd let my kids down. I was, um, you know, sobbing in the corner of my room in a chair thinking, well, where do we go now? And, and my eldest daughter, Annabelle, uh, came up to me and said, well, you know, mum, what's wrong? And I remember crying and saying, well, I'm, this is our house. This is our home. We've lost it. Um, what do we do now? And, I, you know, I felt like I'd let them down. And she said to me, mum, it's, it's just a house. You know, we'll be, we'll be fine. We've got each other. And I think, again, it was sort of, you know, knocked me out of that um, that space and um, into a new way of thinking. I always, to me, I think that life is um, a series of loosening our grip. You know, we tend to get so attached to things, whether they're whether it's a house or car or relationship. And sometimes, you know, the greatest thing that can happen to us is to actually lose that because we we have a chance to re reinvent our lives, which I've done so many times. And really, that was the um the the point in my life where I thought well okay I I don't have a house now <laughs> and uh I'd moved into another um an, another home that I had temporarily and this is a chance for me now to to start again for a new beginning just like all the other ones that I've been through and I thought okay so I've I've been speaking in Australia for a long time and I've written my books so it's time for me to start again, to go somewhere else and, and continue to share my story. And I made the decision to move across the world, halfway across the world to a country where, might I add, I, I really didn't know anybody. I had no work. I had nothing. I had just the belongings in my car and and here I am. And it's been just the most incredible journey. And now I'm living in a cabin in the middle of Wyoming. <laughs> you write in the book, Defiant, that you do feel fear when you make decisions and moves like this move 
to come to the United States, that you do feel fear, but that you don't feel afraid. I thought that was interesting. Feel fear, but you're not afraid. Yeah. Well, I think what I'm, what I really mean is that I'm not afraid of feeling fear. You know, I've been through it so often that it's familiar. You know, it's like an old friend. And often when I feel fear, it's usually, okay, well, to me, everything's information. You know, everything's an experience. So when I feel fear, I I get really curious about that. And, and And I ask myself, well, what's that all about? And, you know, when I told my friends and my family that I was moving to another country, I remember someone saying to me, well, that, I'd love to do that. That's okay for you to do because you don't get scared. And I said, oh, no, I get scared. I feel fear. The only difference is I'm not afraid of feeling fear. And I think, you know, when we can remain open and curious to those feelings, that life is filled with just uh, possibilities and I should add that from from that experience, you know, I've I've actually um, met the love of my life, which is why I'm actually in Wyoming, and um, you know, life has um, opened up even more um, interesting uh, paths for me since then. Janine, just two more questions for you. Sure. Do you still fly planes? And if so, what's important to you about flying now? Mm. I love flying. Flying to me is the most magical experience. And when I'm up in a plane, I'm not a person with a disability. Nobody can tell that I walk funny. So it's the most incredible sense of freedom. I my flying has been put on hold for, uh, for for quite a few years as I've been speaking and writing and, and being a single mum. But of course, my partner David and I, he's a pilot too, and we fly together and we fly over the beautiful Teton Ranges. And I look forward to getting back into my little aerobatic airplane and uh, zipping around the clouds once again. So, um, yeah, I do fly and, and that's the plan, to get back up there and maybe get another little aerobatic airplane one day and perhaps even take other people up flying, which is something that I love to do to share that gift of flight. Mm. Okay, one final question for you. This podcast series is called Insights at the Edge, and I'm always curious to know what somebody's current edge is. And what I mean by that is where do you see your own growing edge at this moment in time, personally? I would say that my edge right now is owning my disability and and not feeling shame about that, which is something that I think I have for a long time. There are certain aspects of being a, a walking paraplegic that people don't know about, people don't understand. And I've written about some of those experiences in Defiant because I think that it's important for people to understand that paraplegia isn't just about walking. And when I first got out of hospital, and I, I remember sitting in my wheelchair in, in the rehabilitation doctor's office and her saying to me, Janine, it's going to be especially difficult for you because you don't look disabled. And that's a burden you're going to have to carry in your life. And I didn't understand what she meant at the time. And I think. My entire life I've been, you know, coping and getting on with life and 
showing people that um, how I got to where I am and how I've achieved what I've, I, I have achieved. And I've written about that in, in previous books. And I think I'm at the point where I realize that, well, I am a person with a disability and there really isn't anything to be ashamed of. In fact, it's something that I'm proud of. And I've written about that in Defiant. I've also written a, a recent essay on that, uh, which is about, you know, the, the hidden aspects of spinal cord injury. And I feel almost free. It's a it's an incredibly cathartic experience, but I feel like I've sort of come out and I've owned my disability. And I realise that having these issues, the, the, the hidden aspects of spinal cord injury, which are um, everything ranging from lack of feeling, sexual dysfunction, and worst of all, bladder and bowel dysfunction, are not things that I should feel like I need to hide or that I should feel ashamed about. And um, I've written about it and I'm speaking about it. And I guess you could say that that has been probably the most challenging uh, aspect of um, writing about it in this book and talking about it and owning it and saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of this and hopefully um, we'll make the journey for other people with uh, spinal cord injury a little easier knowing that um, they're not alone on this incredibly challenging and difficult journey of living with spinal cord injury. So being able to talk about my disability and embrace my disability has given me an incredible sense of freedom in a way. There's a certain level of letting go that comes from you know bringing something out that I've had hidden for so long, bringing it out of the cupboard and, cupboard and airing it, a level of acceptance that I hope will also give uh, people that read Defiant uh, permission to also um, embrace the things that they might have been hiding or they might feel shame about and and to know that you know we're loved and accepted just as we are and I think that's a really important message thank you for who you are thank you for your honesty and your courage and thank you for being a guest on Insights at the Edge well it's been an absolute pleasure and I have to say being part of the Sounds True family incredible gift and a great blessing to me and I want to thank you for that. I've been speaking with Janine Shepard. She has written a new book and it's also available as an audio book read by Janine. It's called Defiant. A broken body is not a broken person. Thanks everyone for being with us. Soundstrue.com, many voices, one journey.